0: Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And remember, my job is to get you off the brink. So I want to bring to you people who are going to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. You know, and this is always my starting speech, because what I want my audience, whether you're watching or you're listening, to do is to learn something new. And the best way to do that is to see it and feel it, and begin to get the stories from someone else who has done it, and say, ah, I can do that too. So today, I have a wonderful couple here to share with you their story, and a new book. Let me tell you about them. Julie Barlow and Jean-Benoît Nadeau are the authors of Going Solo, Everything You Need to Start Your Business and Succeed as Your Own Boss. So those of you who are out there wondering whether or not it's time for you to leave that corporate life and start your own business, or you're already starting the business and want to know how to succeed at business, or you're really thinking about, I don't know, going back into business. It's a good time to listen in and think about your own purpose and passion and where you could really have a great trip. The prize-winning authors and journalists, the husband and wife pair, have been running a freelance writing business for almost three decades. Look at the books behind them. I just love books. And so many folks have no books. And I'm a book author and I love books. They've spoken across Canada, US, Europe, and Japan. Their work has appeared in the New York Times, USA Today, the International Herald Tribune, France's L'Express, and more. They've published 15 books. Written over a 1,000 articles, won more than 30 journalism and literary awards. Avid travelers, they've lived in Paris, which I love, where John Bonneau was a fellow of the Washington-based Institute for Current World Affairs. They've been to Toronto and Phoenix, where Julie was a Fulbright scholar at Arizona State University. They're trilingual in English, French, and Spanish, and they are based in Montreal, where they live with their twin daughters. I've told you enough. It's enough for you to see that I got somebody really cool here for you today, and they're going to help you, just like I want to, see things through a fresh lens. Thank you, Jean and, Jean and Julie, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you for thanks so much for having us. Now, John has told me I can call him JB, but now what I'd love you to do is tell us about your own journey. It's one thing to read a bio. It's another thing to begin to think through, well, how did we get here? Why this book at this time? You certainly have written lots. Julie, would you like to start about your journey? I would, although in a
1: sense, I think perhaps to start with a book, we should maybe start with Jean. Um, okay.
2: on I love that. Yes. Okay. Um, I began as a writer in 1987 as a journalist. Uh, I'd done some theater before that. I'd studied engineering, decided in the end that I wanted to earn a living writing and began as a writer. And since I was not employable because I had no experience, I started freelancing, (laughs) which was anyway my destiny as a creator. Uh, Anyway, realized later that anyway, a couple of years, things went well. I got my degree in political science, was doing freelancing meanwhile. And in 1993, things were going well. And a a magazine in Montreal offers me a job. I take the job and I'm employed 29 days and I quit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's when I
2: became self-employed by choice. My father is an engineer. He had his own consultancy. quite became quite large eventually. But uh, he was an entrepreneur. And he's the first person who told me, because uh, I was telling him, I have no job. What am I? Oh, he said, you're self-employed. Oh, really? He said, yeah. <laughs> I didn't
0: know what it was. Bravo to your father. And then
2: we discussed frequently we, until he until he he, he became sick uh, at the beginning of uh, middle of the uh, around 2005 he was a good mentor he uh, he mentored us a lot and we realized quite early that a lot of the problems we were going through were the same that he was going through as an engineer yeah like aside from writing you know um how do you negotiate, Um, how do you manage without losing time, how do you finance your business, and all these things. Mm -hmm. And um, I gave seminars first to journalists because I had a certain amount of success as a writer. So I was giving seminars to journalists. And then in 1997, I published a book, which is the original version of the book in French for the Quebec market. And I uh, started giving speeches in uh, in um, chambers of commerce and associate, trade associations and realized that I was right on, that I the advice that we had developed, because Julie, I was a signee of the book, but I was already partners with Julie. So the advice that we were developing applied to, more, to all create, everybody wants to be creative in their work, really. And uh and then um, we never, well, good success. We sold like 30,000 copies of the book in the tiny Quebec market. And, in French. In French. And Julie said at one point, I said, that book is absolutely translatable. So we got the rights back from my publisher and she translated it. And here we are.
1: So I had been thinking for, you know, years and years of translating it, but just, it just got buried under other projects. My writing career began much, much like Jean's, you know, I started young, sort of, I don't know, stumbled into it, began writing music music reviews when I was in university. And, and I kind of lost my confidence. I didn't I didn't come from a background with a father who was an entrepreneur. I didn't come from a business background at all. I didn't even know you could really make a living as a writer.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And that's not unusual in our field, you know, for people to have a skill and develop it, but not, you know, have any sense of how to run a business. So I finished my education, um, finished my master's degree and then just started out. And, you know. Nevertheless, even with that help that we had it, it 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 there's a number of skills you have to really develop in order to make to make your to make your uh, your your passion into a into a business basically. I felt very fortunate to have your dad and of course, you know we developed our own our own uh by trial and error and over this over the decades developed our skills and our tips and and so yeah, so I was very happy to bring the book two uh we have two editions of it in canada one for the united states and one for canada and it's just great to share with other you know not just creative people but people who want to live their passion you know they want to do what they want to do they want to leave a job start out fresh out of school or whatever there's just some basic things that you need to understand the how-to uh to make it work so that you don't get drowned in frustrations
0: and you know interesting I listen to you, so I'm in business 22 years now, and I launched my business after being in corporate as an executive um, in two banks and as an executive in two hospitals. And prior to that, I was an anthropology professor. I got my tenure, and I was a visiting professor teaching entrepreneurship. And I I was on a journey because I knew I was an anthropologist. I like to apply it among businesses that were going through change, because people hate change, and I sort of helped them see, feel, and think in new ways. But when I launched it after 9-11, my PR firm said to me, oh, Andy, you're a corporate anthropologist who helps companies change. And I went, bingo. And so in a sentence, he defined my passion, my purpose, the why. Um, Then the question was how and and I did what I used to do anyway, which was start to have lunches, you know, never eat alone. We started to network and network and network. And next thing you know, I had a half a dozen clients and I went, oh, this is fun. This is free. <laughs> I'm having a great time being me. And I do think that part of the, passion and purpose is knowing who you are, not just what you do. But that's sort of my story. I want to go back to yours. When you began to help people through the book, let's talk about a process, a way of thinking, because remember, we live the story in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so now the question is, typically the people who are going to read this book have what kind of story? What are they trying to do? Give them the wisdom and the lessons learned that you have, so the book complements it in some fashion. Jean, Julie, who would like to start?
1: Um,
0: I
2: think that um, a very important uh, moment in the process of thinking ourselves as as um, entrepreneurial uh, in, it was the realization that it's a it's a it's a hard exchange. And As an anthropologist, you'll understand. Historically, people used to be all self-employed. Yes, And the people who who were employed were at the bottom of the scale. They didn't own their means of production, and they were at the bottom of the scale. And around the 19th century, that scale shifted. The people who who became employed were were employed, moved up uh, socially, uh, and it became a goal of even education to have a job. We all went through, study well, you're going to have a job. That's We don't say to people, study well, you're going to enterprise. Never, <laughs> never say that to kids. Tell them, study well, you'll have a job. So uh-huh. then I realized I will never have a job. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to have work. So that's what self-employed is. You don't have a job, but you have work. And you don't have a boss. You have a client who's your hierarchical equal yes. because you are your own boss and you don't have a salary. You have income, which you bill. But you see, it took me about four or five years even to send a bill to my clients because I thought it was pretentious.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry to
2: I was an artist. <laughs> right? I was a writer. I came from theater. So I, at one point, they would look at their books and say, oh, we haven't paid this guy, so let's send them a check. <laughs> That's how I was getting paid. So of course that was the big the big moment of understanding that that you don't too much work. I don't have a job.
0: And I'm, Julie you're going I'm gonna let you pop in, but I want to yeah. just set the context because I've been coaching some young women in their 20s. Um, some are graduating from college some have graduated and have had a, a couple of jobs. Uh, But I'm not sure that they know who they are, what they're doing or why they're doing it. But I will tell you that the education in college makes them seem as if they're fully competent at something. They just don't know what that something is or where to find a, a company that wants their something. And I'm disturbed at the disconnect between their job, work, passion, purpose. Julie, your turn, please. I didn't want to cut you off, but I wanted to set the stage. No worries, I was just gonna jump in and say, you know, one of the big places where you
1: see this problem of flipping from you know feeling like somebody in control of, of what you produce and what you do comes in negotiating, which is something we talk a lot about with 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 writers who um tend to think there's a system that they fit into and there's a certain amount that they will get paid. And they and they tend not to think that they're in the driver's seat. Um, and so they get exploited. And one of the big problems is that people who, and you see this sometimes when people who leave a job to start working freelance, um, they just think of their clients as their bosses. And they even use that term they use, you know, well, the boss says the boss this and the, you know, they they don't start from a position of power, which is that they can sell or not sell. And sometimes it's just worth walking away. I mean, I, I have this discussion with fellow writers a lot. There are clients who are just not good clients and they're, they're hurting you and they're not paying you fairly and they're, they're wasting your time. You could be using your, your means of your means and whatever it is you sell or, or, or produce to make money from somebody who appreciates it. You know? So if one of the big things is like avoiding bad clients Yes. And learning say to say no, saying no. So we no. have a little section in the book of 16 ways to say no. It, it's very popular with people. You have to learn <laughs> no. when to say no and how to walk away from things. And sometimes saying no is what really radically suddenly improves your conditions. I mean,
0: you need to be able to do that. It's, it's tough for people. Well, it's interesting because you. I remember the first client who I said, I'm really not good for you and you're not good for me. So I think you should find somebody else for your sake. And I remember that feeling of freeing myself, but allowing them to be free of me as well, because we were simply not going to make it. And, <laughs> and, and, and it was it was a fat. it wasn't no, it was for your sake. And I yeah. share that because it was a perspective that it wasn't my problem, but for your benefit, it's time to go. But I've learned that no is a good word. Yeah. Mm, it yeah. is a good word and it, and it can even bring a bigger
1: yes at the end of the day so from somebody else i mean i i recently last year said no to a really really what could have been a very lucrative writing contract with somebody that i just knew we were not a fit yeah. you know you, you have to and then this is we talk about this as well in the book you know you have to explore fairly carefully with your client make sure they understand what they're getting make sure they understand what you're giving them Yes, Um, we're on the same terms. Things have to be clear from the beginning or you you have problems down the line. And I just could not get through to them. We just could not see eye to eye on the thing. Um, But, you know, we left on good terms. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm just not I'm just not going to do this. Um, anyway, the, the word about what I had done with him, traveled back to his literary agent and came back to me in the form of another book contract. So you know, <laughs> I anyway, absolutely understood what I did, but I, you know, these are the lessons that you learn as a business person, um, you know, a client's expectations. And again, it's the boss client mentality. And, you, you know, you have to take the time to make sure that you understand their, their expectations and that they understand what they're getting. Or you just end up with problems with them. Pe- just...
2: People make a lot of fuss about the business plan. We we get questions about that, no, I I know, but we say the business plan is basically five questions. You know, what do you want to do? Um, why 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 do you want to do it? Um, What's the market? What price do you want to offer? You know, what do you, what will you bring to people? You know, that's like just a basic, if, if you need financing or an associate, you you may need to write almost a book a business plan, a book size business plan, but a good business plan can fit on two or three pages. But there's a sixth question that I forgot that I didn't mention, which is, I think, the most important. It's what for? <laughs> And the the purpose, but your goal, your personal goal, where do you want to go with that? Because you are not, say you want to do, you want to teach social dancing. A lot of people want to turn their passion into a business, and that's good. That's often why people go into self-employment. Well, you're not going to, once things start running, and that can come pretty quickly, you'll go somewhere if you know where you want to go. And You will not even decide who your clients are and if you want to start teaching for the purpose of creating a franchise of social dancing or win the Olympic of social dancing or create a shoe for social dancing. You are not going to choose your clients in the same way, your venues, the place where you're going to showcase them, etc. And it's the same with a writer. You are not going to do all the thousands of choices you have to do in your writing daily business if you want to be a publisher or have an agency or uh, want to be an editor-in-chief or move into book writing or film. These are all personal purposes. There's nobody who's going to tell you which is right, but it's very
0: important. It orients you. And now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us, and we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways, whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey. Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls, and become the best that they could be. They heard things like, women aren't lawyers, and women can't lead, and women aren't in geosciences, and they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com, and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On Andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group. Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now, back to our podcast. I also think. I can't tell you how many folks come in by referral often. Sometimes they find us in the internet and are trying to do what they did in the corporate world in a independent freelance business fashion. Um, But they don't really understand these are different. You know, they, they did this there and therefore I'm going to do this now. I said, but there you had the brand of the big company and you had a network and so forth. Why should somebody hire you now? And how are you going to actually build a revenue stream, a client base, have a business with it, as opposed to being uh, an unemployed person who used to do something? I mean, the story changes, but they aren't thinking about how to actually, and they have no idea very often, your book being very valuable, about how do I think about myself now? Because when I said I'm a corporate anthropologist who helps companies change, to be honest with you, I knew people had a change. They didn't care how I did it. And I minute I picked that one up, I knew that the whole sales process was about, you know, where are your gaps? Where's your pain point and how can I help? How I did it, they didn't care. Um, but it's a very important piece. <laughs> they really didn't. They didn't know what an anthropologist would do. Um, but it was, it was interesting to watch the transformation, but many times they come and don't know how to turn an idea, an observation into a business and innovation. So your book comes at a very timely uh, moment. Um, When they get going, do you help them uh, create scalability? A word I use often because, you know, there are 13 million women-owned businesses in the U.S. 10 million of them don't make, are solopreneurs. Five million of those don't make more than $10,000 a year. And they're more like side hustles, which is fine. Um, But there are a whole lot of solopreneurs. and, And I worry about the lack of scalability. Um, not being able to underwrite it with the right capital, don't know how to use a bank to finance it, don't use their credit cards Don't have family and friends. I mean, there's a whole huge market of folks who need to make an income in a better way, but need to think differently about what they're doing and not simply celebrate the fact that they're not inside a company, which is often what they say. Well, I, I didn't like being there, so I'm doing this. said, But you're not in business. You're just trying. So thoughts.
1: So, yeah, well, one of the one of the ideas that we we speak of is that between somebody making twenty five thousand dollars a year as a solopreneur and somebody making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, you're not. The the, the thing you have to understand is that you don't have to work 10 times more (laughs) choose your make your choices in function of things. You know, in our case writing that feeds other ways of making money so for instance we wrote a book about this the french language and we turned that into you know speaking gigs on the french language uh articles on the french language a film script on the Senate, a radio show on the french language i mean we we, we the, the the book just keeps on giving us yeah. content that we use for other things and and you know, we're not being paid to sit and produce new content every day. That's what we would do if we had a job, perhaps as a scriptwriter at a company, but we are, we use our, our content to make money and help, you know, make money for us. Um, you know, the best, the best way to be a writer is to sit and wait for the royalties checks to come to the door. You know, <laughs> Of course we have to write, but uh, yeah, so that, that, and that's a, you know, all of the choices that we make, we make sure that they are not dead-end choices, That they are choices mm-hmm. that are going to feed that or feed other books or enable us to produce books, um, you know, using a, a gig, doing something that will feed us with content for something else. I mean, that that's, you know, and that's how we... That's how we go from thinking like an employee to thinking like a business person.
2: I recently read the biography of Charles Dickens and was fascinated. He was one of the first authors in history to do what he called work the copyright, which meant that earning a living was not just about writing, was to use his intellectual property to work for him and for a lot less work right and and um, as writers we have the benefit of having intellectual property created the minute we finish something mm-hmm. the costly part of the intellectual property is developing it into research but if you choose your ideas very well for the purpose of reusing them, then then things become a lot easier that's just the that's just in the, the production side of it, you know mm-hmm. but um, if you negotiate well you can, you can actually uh, improve your productivity uh, without raising your rate, just because you understand better what the client wa- wants or because you negotiate better the ownership of what you produce for them because you keep that ownership for yourself or because you get better terms. You know, that's just at the negotiating level. You can um uh, collecting, you know, if you build quickly, you Collect quickly, and then you have less money on your credit card. You know, there's mm-hmm. all sorts of things like this at all levels of of, uh, of what it is to run a business that are productive.
0: And what okay. you're, you're saying, those are mindset. And and I do think that mindset isn't the um, the narrow. I'm a freelance writer. It's the broad. I'm in business to take ideas. And in multiple channels, begin to bring them to market because my purpose is to share French. And I need to do it on uh, all the different channels. And I need to do that in multiple different ways. And the content keeps repurposing itself. I mean, I um, people say to me, did you sell a lot of books? I said, I brought in a lot of clients. <clears throat> I mean, and you can bring in good clients. I was in Mexico three times off a book that someone found in a Hudson News in an airport. And I had to give programs to CEOs down there three years in a row. And I just loved before the pandemic, I just loved the multiplier of the book. Yeah. And I just had a podcast earlier today of a guy I gave the On the Bring book to. He took it on his vacation, came back and was quoting it for me. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. And yeah. And I'm but I'm I love how what we do is designed not to be an end, but a beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I do think it opens the door and the idea is how many different doors can it open and how do we get to where we're really taking the message and helping spread it to do that you kind of have to be agile you kind of, I mean the word is a little overused but you do you need to be
1: watching what's going on you know in the book we encourage people who are starting out to be curious to contact their competitors to sit down with people in their business and ask questions and figure things out um, people can be very you know shy and a little bit locked into their own little universe you can stay in front of your screen all the time but it's important to get out and, and understand what's going on and people are helpful I they mean, are they are amazingly amazing. helpful yep. um and they're happy to have somebody you know i'm happy for young writers to approach me yep. and and to ask for me to sit down and explain things to them when i don't have time to do a contract i'd love to be able to keep my client happy by sending them somebody else who can and you know that happens Fairly frequently, and it's it's uh, and it's sort of win win for everybody. But you know, communication and being open to that and watching the industry change is really important. One of our early methods was to resell articles because we we write in both languages and we would resell them in different markets. And you know that changed when 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 internet came and we started writing before internet um when that that all changed and then we it was very it was harder to keep our copyright over certain things and resell things but we found new ways to do that and one of them is translating it. and we you know we don't necessarily get paid for our copyright but we they need us to translate it so we get paid for that you know we're always looking to where the soft spots are and how things are changing and you always have to kind of be you know be aware of what's going on and and uh, not get stuck in a in a way of doing things and that again is something like very particular to being you know sort of an, an entrepreneur entrepreneurial s- s- state of mind as opposed to thinking like
0: an employee and doing what you're asked to do yeah you're you're, you're segueing into a topic that I always like to include though and um you've been through many years of watching many different um, transitions and transformations. Yeah, I mean, often you pick up. I mean, I often talk about the future is here. We just haven't quite distributed widely, but you pick up little signs and the little signs are the tip of the iceberg of where things are going, or there's some signs that you're already beginning to watch happen and you're saying, hmm, there's something coming. I'm not quite sure what, but I'm really interested to see where and who and I'm gonna poke further and um anything you can share. Cause I do think the times are changing. Yeah.
2: Um well in Canada we have this problem right now. the, the, the Canadian government wants to control better uh, well wants to ensure that uh, big companies like Facebook and Google share their the publicity uh, market with traditional media and they created a law and Facebook Australian style law and uh, Facebook reacted by blocking all Canadian contents on Facebook and Google is threatening that. So that is raising a lot of questions on the future of writing as a writer in Canada. It's going to be a rocky year next year, I would say. So artificial
1: intelligence. AI is a big one, yeah. AI is affecting us. Not, I mean, again, maybe back to what Jean-Benoît said about purpose. we as sort of high end writers are are right now kind of safe from AI can't really do what we're doing. So we're enjoying the benefits of it right now. And which is, you know, um, transcribing automatic tools for transcribing interviews and translation tools that give us decent first drafts of translations and, and various different things, you know, but, you know, all the writer, all the writing community is a little on edge about what AI is going to do because it's getting better at, generative artificial intelligence so
0: we're, well i'm we're watching we're, we can't afford to have our head in the sand i mean we, we really have to i fell help. in love with ai and i i i say that gently because I, I use it in in different kind of ways it writes great poems for me and and if i want to give a granddaughter a poem about a situation i give it three facts and out comes a great poem and I went, I can't write that, but boy, that is a great poem. And I don't even know who I would ask to write it. Um, but it is interesting to watch um, what we begin to use it for. I had um, um, a great big project and I, and I said, tell me, you know, what are your thoughts, AI, about this project I'm working on? And it freshened up my thinking. Not that I was necessarily going to use it, but it it is being a solopreneur it's often difficult to find open colleagues with conversations that can make intelligent insights into things you're you're thinking about mm-hmm. um and so i'm i'm finding all kinds of ways to make it my friend and mm-hmm. i say that because it's how you feel about it as opposed to being angry at it yeah,
1: yeah. well it's it-
2: You know, we use artificial intelligence a fair amount. We have an excellent corrector here called Antidote. It's pure artificial intelligence. And uh, uh, all the intelligence software that that is there doesn't make very good translation, but makes a good first draft. And, and, And in fact, in Canada, where we translate a fair amount because we have two official languages... The The number of people who are employed as translators has increased by 18% in the last seven years, when the labor force has increased by six. So it reduced the cost of entry to a lot of people who would not translate. Yes. And then they give it to a machine. It c- comes out and they say, someone says, that's not very good, but let's hire someone who finished the translation. Yes. That- then the then the you know,
0: what what is Grammarly? I mean, I, this whole book, I put every every one of the the I mean, one hundred and two women, and I gave everyone to Grammarly, and they made the corrections, and I sent it back, and they approved it. And man, it was efficient. And uh, there, there was limits to how much creativity was going to go into it, um, but it was if uh, but it it got me comfortable that they would sound professional. Yeah. And 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 we it was even far better than the proofreader of the publisher, um, and and so it was fun to to test. I just needed a third third party.
2: But one of the things about artificial intelligence is that it's a misnomer. Yes, it's intelligent. It's an algorithm that processes a lot of information, and one of the problems for journalists anyway. One of the issues with our with yeah. our AI. Is that, uh, for example, ChatGPT is essentially a sociopath.
0: Yes. It
2: doesn't tell you it doesn't know when it doesn't yeah. know. It makes up things yes, and it? it doesn't gives you the source, which is contrary to any kind of ethic in in uh, in in the, or deontology in journalism. Yep. And and uh, I I don't think it threatens journalism. It will be a tool like glasses or even the wood processor.
0: You know, um, in the schools, my daughter is a, a teacher and uh, she said back to me, I had to do a lesson plan for a student, special ed. So I went into CHAT and it came back and it was almost as good as I would have done. And in a minute, and I went, yeah, now use your time to teach the child and not write the lesson plan. You know, it's a perfectly good way to get going. Nothing is perfect. And even our own lesson plans may not be perfect. Um, We think they're better then, but I'm enjoying the transition to the next stage of data and and insights coming from intelligent stuff in different ways. So um, it'll be fun if we stay and make it happy and and then be wise and go back and check and make sure it's correct. But even the stuff on Google, I'm never quite sure it's correct either. Um, You got to be knowledgeable enough to know. This has been such fun. I'm so glad that you're on our podcast today. And if folks would like to buy the book, where could they buy it? Amazon. Dot com, Amazon.ca in in Canada,
1: Barnes and Nobles. It, it should be available in any bookstore. It's widely distributed. Yeah, it's very widely distributed. Just make American
2: sure America. if you ever go, yeah. it probably won't happen. But the Canadian edition has a little can- Canadian. maple leaf at the top. If it doesn't have that little maple leaf, it's an American edition.
0: <laughs> Would you hold that up again? Let's oh, yeah. see. How people can see it.
2: Uh, Julie Julie has a lot of uh, of <laughs> I, I'm I'm hiding the post-its but the, <laughs>
0: the, the post-its. all the the things that looks great. Thank you so much. So it's going solo and you want to go solo. you've been with us today listening to Julie Ballo and Jean Bono Nadu as we are trying to really help you see feel and think in new ways so that you can decide how am I going to spend the next stage of my career. Do I want a job or do I want really interesting work? Am I going to be a creator of a whole new market space or am I going to copy someone else and be another? And I do think it's a time for really rethinking who you are, where you're going and how to do it. So I want to thank you for coming. Thank you for coming today and speaking to our audience As you know, our new book, Women Mean Business, just came out, and it is doing gangbusters, and it too is on all the booksellers, Barnes & Noble and Amazon. It's the stories of 102 women, and they are really interesting stories because the women have five wisdoms they want to share with you, and each of them has a different background, history, their own journey. And it's really quite fascinating. The reviews are, I wasn't sure what I was going to find. I went through the whole book and each of the women inspired me. Someone I gave the book to said to me, man, this is a great book. Who knew? And I said, I know. The whole idea is to share their wisdom with you so you can be inspired. You can aspire to greatness. You can begin to think about how other women have done it. One of my favorite quotes in there. Don't believe everything you're thinking. And I said, ah, I like that. We preach, turn a page, and change your life. I really think Women in Business is here to help you do just that. So on that note, I want to thank everyone for coming. Keep sending me your ideas on who we should have. Share the podcast. And I wish you will. Bye-bye now. Have a great one.